This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Right field. Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, got a special guest, huh? Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Glove Stories with Murph. It is great to be here. It is great to uh, be telling some great baseball stories, and it is really exciting to introduce our next guest. Today's guest is a guy that, well, if you've ever been down to the ballpark, either at Veterans Stadium or Citizens Bank Park, you certainly know the voice and it is our pleasure to welcome in the PA announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies for going on 50 years Mr. Dan Baker Dan good to have you here hi Greg how are you I'm doing great and uh, we are excited to uh, talk a little bit about uh, well you know the last half a century that you've spent with this organization uh, in and around the Philadelphia Phillies in and around the Philadelphia sports scene um, you know we talk about your voice and it's just synonymous with the ballpark and whether you're a football fan or a baseball fan folks in Philadelphia know that voice and you know I Let's start there because, you know, sometimes folks who are on television or on the radio get recognized because of their face. Or I have to believe that if you say something in, in a supermarket, heads start to turn because they say, I know that voice. Is that right? You know, uh, I usually talk a little bit differently, uh, Greg. <laughs> uh, uh, when I'm doing uh, PA, I, I try to talk uh uh, a little slower mm -hmm. uh, and more precisely uh, because a lot of people, of course, don't see me or they can't get clues from my expression, uh, what I'm saying. So they're uh, depending on just hearing you. So I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing every word correctly and enunciating every syllable so they can hear me. Uh, that they can't take advantage again from uh, visual cues, you know, right. watching our mouth movement or something like that. Um, but uh, to me, it, it's just been uh, uh, so enjoyable of being able to do this growing up a Phillies fan, uh, going to Connie Mack Stadium as a kid um, for many, many games and uh, now having a chance to uh, introduce uh, the Phillies, you know, yeah. it, it's uh, just a privilege, a real privilege. Yeah, you know, I think uh, both of us, uh, having grown up in this area, it, there's a, something a little bit even more special with what we get to do on a daily basis and be connected to this organization that has been such a big part of our lives even before we were in the workforce and, and, and getting paid to do this kind of thing. Um, I certainly understand that emotion for you. You know, you talk about um, the way you go about doing your job, but that goes back to, you know, like your childhood, right? Teenage years and, and your formative years when you started um, very early to understand the way to use your words and the way to uh, enunciate uh, mom and dad were all over you about that. Were they not? They were, they were, Greg. Uh, you know, people have sometimes said to me, uh, where did you learn to become uh, a good public speaker? And I said, at home. Uh, yeah. when, I, when I walked out of the house, uh, thanks to my mother and father, who were sticklers for elocution, uh, I, I could talk pretty well. And, uh, you know, they insisted on the grammatically correct English and uh, making eye contact uh, with the, the listener, you know. Uh, so uh, they really emphasize good communications skills. And also, Greg, when I was uh, a little league player and I played in the Camden County Pony League, and I wasn't too bad, by the way, but I wasn't nearly good enough to play professionally. So, uh, you know, I would imitate the announcers when we were playing the games and everything. And the older I got, I realized, you know what? 
I don't know if I'm skilled enough to play at the big league level. That would have been my dream. Oh my goodness, to play at Connie Mack Stadium, yeah, the green grass with those big light standards and all the people in the stands. Oh my goodness, what a dream come true that would have been. Uh, I never got that chance. Um, but uh, I listened very closely to Bison and Gene Kelly and Bill Campbell and, of course, uh, later, uh, 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 you know, working with Harry Callis and, and Richie Ashburn. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very blessed in Philadelphia, uh, and we have been for a long time. We continue to be. Um, but I, uh, knowing that I could talk well and knowing that, I love the Phillies. Uh, uh, I thought, geez, I don't know. Uh, there's only so many announcing jobs, but uh, if one of them ever opened up, you know, maybe that's something that I could do, you know, at, at, at that level. And, uh, and luckily for me, it happened. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that. But before we uh, let go of mom and dad here for just a second, tell me the truth. Did you ever roll your eyes when, when mom and dad were saying, hey, Dan, Danny, you got to enunciate. You've got to say there because they were right. They got you where you yeah, are today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, I, I think I always, you know, had a sense that they had my best interests at heart. And, uh, uh, you know, I, there were probably sometimes I'd go, oh, geez, come on, mom, dad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying, and I, I think I'm uh, 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 following your uh, 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 teachings pretty well. Uh, but um, uh, when in school, uh, Greg, uh, like I would a lot of times be selected by the teachers to be one of the speakers in in an assembly program, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, things like that. Uh, because uh, even uh, from, you know, uh, junior high school and into high school and college, uh, I uh, was unfazed by talking in front of people, no matter how small a group, no matter how large a group. And uh, so uh, in, now if if somebody asked me to sing, I can't sing a lick, you know, <laughs> I can't carry a note, but, uh, but I can talk. Uh, and, uh, and if I'm talking about something with which I have some knowledge, I feel a little bit confident and sure. you know, growing up and loving Phillies baseball and Eagles football and big five basketball and Sixers, uh, you know, the Warriors before the Sixers, you know, uh, and uh, uh, I, so I felt I had some sports knowledge and I could not make a fool of myself, you know, talking about sports. <laughs> well, I think you've managed to be able to do that over the last five decades. You've done just fine for yourself. Uh, all right. So here you are, a 25-year-old young man uh, starting to get into the workforce. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, as so many of our fellow colleagues at the Phillies have found themselves from time to time in front of Bill Giles, getting a chance to interview for a position with the Philadelphia Phillies. When you stop to think about how many people he brought into this organization, it really is amazing. And you're one of them. Tell us about that interview that you had with Bill Giles, because from what I understand, you went in there with a great deal of confidence and, and got that job, right? Yes. Uh, and, uh, of course, I didn't know, although I was confident uh, and I was going to give it my best shot, uh, I didn't know what the outcome would be going into it. Sure. Uh, 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 I, I think about midway through the interview, I started to feel better and better. And one of the reasons, Greg, that I felt better uh, didn't have as much to do with my announcing ability as it was that I think Bill was impressed to some degree uh, with my baseball knowledge and that I was a fan and knew the game because when I when Bill Giles hired me in uh, November of 
1971 to start the baseball season, April 1972, uh, he told me that besides announcing, and he had me do an audition, you know, over the PA system and everything, and we talked about things that I had announced up until then. And so I think he felt that I did have an announcing background. Uh, but he said, you know, Dan, it's important uh, for our public address announcer uh, ha has to also operate the game and progress scoreboard. Right. You have to do balls, strikes, outs, runs, hits, errors. It, do you think that's something you, you can do? And uh, I said, oh, M Mr. Giles, I mean, geez, I... I did that, and when I wasn't playing in a little league game, you know, if I was watching a second game, I was sometimes up, you know, in the little uh, uh, scoreboard room <laughs> at the little league field in Mount E from New Jersey, and uh, uh, you know, I I I, I could do balls and strikes. It was a scoreboard out in the field, and uh, any anyway. Uh, so yes, I did that. And uh, I was very confident. And I used to listen to the Phillies games on the West Coast. Okay. And I would lay, lay in bed at night because yeah, they were later. Yeah. And uh, I would keep balls and strikes on my fingers, you know? <laughs> and uh, just, I was so into the game. So uh, I, I said to Mr. Giles, uh, if you hire me, I will be the quickest and most accurate in baseball. And I saw Bill recoil and he kind of arched his back. And he said, that's exactly, without saying it, his facial expression told me that was exactly what he wanted to hear. Yeah. Uh, because he said that is something that we have had problems with from time to time in, in the first year of the vet. And we need to correct that. That has to be done, you know, quickly and accurately. I said, well, Mr. Giles, I will be the quickest and most accurate in baseball. And you know what, Greg? I kept that scoreboard for 32 of the 33 yeah, years yeah. the Phillies played at the vet, all 32 that I announced. And I was the quickest and most <laughs> accurate in baseball. And I hope from time to time you reminded Bill of that, that you were the best going. <laughs> I'm sure every once in a while he gave you a pat on the back, right? Um, we didn't talk about it so much, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think it was uh, generally accepted that I was. And, and uh, people complimented him and complimented me on the speed with which. Now, I, I should point out, it isn't because I'm a genius. <laughs> you know, I, 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 pay, I was a big Phillies fan. I paid close attention and I had a laser focus on the game and the umpire. That's all I had to do was pay attention, you know? And it was like, a, it, it wasn't computers back then. It was just a manually operated scoreboard. You just had to push the numbers. So uh, uh, you don't have to be brilliant to do that. Again, you just <laughs> have to know the game and pay attention. And I did. And yeah. when people would come into the scoreboard room, I could conduct a conversation, but I, would I wouldn't look at people with whom I was conversing because I'm looking you know, at the umpire and the batter and so forth. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, when we moved to Citizens Bank Park, uh, they separated those jobs out. I, I just announced at uh, right. Citizens Bank Park, I don't do the scoreboard anymore. Which, by the yeah. way, I did for two games last season uh, in your absence, and it was one of the more difficult jobs I've ever done in my career. So, uh, you know, there is there is such an art and a skill to what you do, and so few of us have the talent to, to be able to do it. So, you know, for those of us that have uh, briefly stepped into your shoes, we know how difficult of a job it is and how easy you make it look, and that's what's amazing about it. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I just love, I know, I know it sounds trite to say, Greg, but I just love it yeah. uh, with all my heart. And um, it's such a joy. And I think that my coworkers would tell you, uh, of course, not that 
uh, there's that many that have been around as long as I have. But those who have seen me over the years, I think, would tell you that I still bring the same enthusiasm into the scoreboard room that, that I brought in, you know, 50 years ago yeah. when I first started. And uh, awesome. it's just an enjoyment. The people that I work with in Fanavision are just terrific. Uh, I've worked with so many nice people over the years. And, uh, you know, we just have a great crew in there, headed up by Mark DiNardo. Mm -hmm. And Mark is a real class act, as you know. Yeah. And uh, he provides great direction to all of us in there uh, who work for the Phillies and work for him. And uh, it's, it's a great environment in which to work. And we all help each other. You know, there, there's times where, you know, you can make a mistake and we'll, we'll correct each other. We'd, we'd like to find each other's mistakes and correct them before uh, a fan sees a mistake on the scoreboard or somebody from the front office calls over. Oh, <laughs> hey, well, that happens? <laughs> uh, oh, that, that, uh, it doesn't really happen that often, uh, but uh, it can happen. Sure. And you, you really don't ever want to reach that point where somebody has to call over and say, what in the heck is this up here, right. you know? Right. Uh, All right. Well, let, let me take you back because uh, 1972. So the vet opens in 1971 and the 1972 you arrive, you were there for opening day. What was the vet like in those days? Give me a, a sense of, I mean, because here it is a brand new stadium. Now yeah. I, I was born in 71. I don't remember the vet until about 80, you know, 1980 was really my first kind of memories. Um, and even then it was kind of a, still a very special place by the end. It had gotten worn down a little bit, but what do you remember about it in 1972? Well, uh, there was like a dancing waters. There was a, a, a water display uh, back behind the center field. Uh, there was Philadelphia Phil and Philadelphia Phyllis. Uh, there was a Liberty bell uh, that was a fixed, uh, a facsimile Liberty Bell that was affixed to uh, the lower part of the upper deck in, in center field. And it was off of that Liberty Bell, by the way, that I saw the longest home run I ever witnessed at the Veterans Stadium. It was hit in May of 72 by okay. the Bull. Yeah. Number 19, left fielder Greg Luzitsky. And the pitcher was Bert Hooten. And uh, and Greg had a line shot. It was like a heat-seeking missile. It just kept rising. And it hit the Liberty Bell on the way up, uh, which was on the facade of the upper deck yeah. in, in the center field. And uh, my goodness, uh, what a what a shot that was! Uh, but um, the, of course, the vet was mammoth in, in terms. You know, it, it seated uh, sixty thousand people, right. uh, and uh, uh, there there wasn't a, a, a fan division in, in in the early years, uh, uh, but uh, nor were there suites like there were later. Uh, they they were added uh, later. Uh, and of course, it was artificial turf, right? Uh, which, when it was new, was really nice, you know. But but the, the artificial turf uh, would wear quickly, and then and my goodness, could it get hot on that turf? Yeah. And you know, from announcing down on the field, uh, which one of the things that the, both the Bill Giles and Dave Montgomery thought would be uh, uh, a friendly invitation to the fans, uh, a, a warmer greeting, was to have the announcer on the field. Right, right. People could see who the announcer was and uh, know where uh, the sound is coming from, as opposed to some disembodied voice. Exactly. That nobody knows where he or she is. And uh, it's coming out of the sound system. Yeah, so less like a PA announcer and more like a master of ceremonies. That's kind of what you have been over the course of, of yeah. the 50 years is, uh, you know, inviting everybody in and kind of laying yeah. out uh, what's about to happen, right? Yes. Uh, and uh, again, that was uh, the brainchild of Bill Giles and Dave Montgomery. And 
I, I enjoyed it immensely. Again, I never had a problem talking in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I will try to uh, connect with the fans in that way, you know, as if I'm talking, you know, to them, you know, not at them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll look around as you might an audience in a live setting, in a theater setting or, you know, a smaller venue where you try to make eye contact with people. And I try to do that, but, you know, people are so far away. I don't know uh, how much eye contact is actually made, uh, but I make the effort just the same uh, and, uh, and, and think that uh, I do connect with the fans pretty well and, and, and enjoy that aspect very much. And they, they uh, the fans, you and I are among them, uh, uh, you know, relate to the teams and uh, to the announcers. And, and I think they're very receptive to that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, all you have to do is sit and and sit back and watch how the fans reacted uh, to you and have reacted to you over the years that, yeah, you're not just a disembodied voice that's coming out of the speakers in whatever particular ballpark or football stadium yeah. they happen to be in. That's Dan Baker yeah. down there and, and we can see him and we can we, we know it's him. And now we hear his voice when you go back upstairs during the game. But it all comes together and it, it's little things like that, that Bill Giles and Dave Montgomery and the organization thought about that kind of makes, makes it just a little bit more special because you and I have been to pretty much every ballpark in America. It's not the same way everywhere. It's not, you know, people don't do what you do in other ballparks. You know, I don't know why that is to me. It makes perfect sense. It does. Uh, because there, there is a connection there. There's a, uh, I think a certain friendliness that's conveyed by seeing the person who's talking. Uh, so I, I, I give a, a Bill and David a lot of credit. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So some special moments over the years, for sure. And way too many for us to get into on this particular podcast. But let me uh, ask you about a couple very specific moments, because uh, in 1976, you know, the obviously a, a big year for the United States and Philadelphia, the bicentennial and the all-star game is at Veterans Stadium. You know, Veterans Stadium's only five years old at that point. It's kind of, you know, we're showing off the jewel of the city. And there you are right in the middle of things. You are going to be, you know, the PA announcer for the game. But I know that uh, down on the field before the game, uh, you got a chance to really feel that all-star experience, did you not? I did. Uh, and uh, another thing, uh, I, I, I owe... Uh, so much to uh, Bill Giles and Dave Montgomery for providing me with this opportunity, but they wanted me to announce the uh, batting practice, you know, so I'm, you know, uh, introducing, you know, Johnny Bench and Greg Luzinski and uh, Dave Kingman, and, you know, all of these uh, stars. It's funny. Uh, if I could skip ahead for just a second, Greg, sure. At the 1990s, I did two All-Star games, right. 1976 and 1996. And I can remember a Phillies intern standing with me as I had the same privilege in 1996. And Mark McGuire was launching, launching shots into the upper deck in left. And uh, Barry Bonds was uh, uh, launching shots into the upper deck in right. It What a hitting... Uh, power display these guys put on and i and i remember one of the interns uh saying to me man oh man mr baker did you ever see anything like this i said yes i did <laughs> i saw greg luzinski uh, and johnny bench you know and mike schmidt you know uh but uh uh, Mike, uh, of course, Mike's 548 home runs leads all the Phillies by quite a bit. Ryan Howard being second with 382. But uh, in terms of length of those home runs, I mean, the bull was in a class by himself. He and, you know, Dick Allen, they, they hit the long balls. But uh, a, a, another thing, Greg, that was a, a, a great point of pride at the 1976 Major League Baseball All-Star Game, that was the first time I ever had a chance to introduce the president of the United States. Wow. Yeah. In 1976, it was Gerald R. Ford. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had the privilege of introducing him at the game. 
and it was uh, a privilege that uh, I was able to share on uh, three other occasions uh, at the Army-Navy game. Uh, I introduced President George W. Bush at the 2004 Army-Navy game, the first uh, year, uh, or the second year, I believe it was played at uh, uh, Lincoln Financial Field. And uh, I introduced uh, President Donald Trump uh, in 2018 and 2019. So I've actually introduced four presidents. And, uh, you know, that I've introduced numerous uh, mayors, governors, U.S. senators, and so forth. But introducing a president is pretty special. Pretty special indeed. I got to ask you because, you know, in, in my line of work, I've had an opportunity to interview a lot of, uh, you know, famous people, celebrities, uh, obviously famous athletes, politicians, the whole nine yards. When you're getting set to interview or introduce the president of the United States, any nerves right there? I mean, are you feeling it at that point? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm very cognizant of uh, I can't make any mistakes here. And, you know, sometimes there's like secret service people nearby yeah. or staff members, you know, <laughs> from the White House, uh, whether it's an Army Navy game or in this case, uh, you know, Major League Baseball All-Star game. But no, I just go about my work the same way I always do. And that is to research, research the names of all those that mm -hmm. I have to introduce. Of course, uh, President Ford, very easy name, you know, kind of like yours and mine, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, uh, some names are easier to say than others. But even the more challenging ones, sometimes people will say, gosh, how do you know how to pronounce all those names? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, we have a pronunciation guide that, you know, Major League Baseball and the teams provide. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I consult that. And uh, if... Uh, if there's somebody on there whose name isn't listed, you know, I'll ask a visiting PR guy, visiting radio and TV person. Sometimes I'll, I'll, eat, I'll ask the player himself, uh, you know, on the field, you know, how do you say your name? Right. And uh, I've done that over the years with the Phillies and, and I do it with visitors, you know. Uh, so uh, it's, it's really not that hard of a formula, you know, you just make sure you can, the cardinal rule, you have to know how to say the person's name. Yes, that's know. important. <laughs> you don't want to guess at it and mispronounce it and disrespect uh, the person that you're introducing. Another a great piece of advice that Bill Giles gave me, uh, Greg, is that uh, when he hired me and uh, we were getting started, he said, now remember, you you are not the star of the show. Those <laughs> players are the star of the show. Yeah. So let's focus on them and make your announcements uh, uh, quickly and accurately get in and get out, you know. And, sure, sure. and uh, I, I've tried to, to follow that. I also went up to observe the great Bob Shepard at Yankee Stadium in my early days. And, and that was... Bob's message pretty much also, right? Uh, you know, to uh, to be concise, uh, to be accurate, uh, to be clear, uh, and uh, not a whole lot of theatrics uh, with Bob Shepard. Uh, what a gr what a wonderful voice! Mm -hmm. What a great example he set as as a PA announcer, and uh, and I've tried to follow that advice. You know, and make sure I can pronounce everybody's name, but uh, do so in a way, Greg, that they can understand what I'm saying. And, you know, sometimes you can go into an arena or an, or a stadium and uh, the PA announcer is uh, uh, very dramatic and not, there's nothing wrong with being dramatic, but I mean, almost to the point of being overly dramatic, right. you know, screaming and shouting and you know, a lot of theatrics and histrionics. And uh, I, I think you have to be careful uh, when you do that because uh, if you start shouting and screaming in a way that uh, the fans can't understand what you're saying, you're doing a disservice because right. you're providing information to them. 
and uh, you know, so if you're screaming and you're so excitable that they can't understand it, then uh, you're doing a disservice. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. You hear that advice from Bill Giles. You hear it from uh, from a legend like Bob Shepard. And, yeah. and certainly you take it to heart. But when you stop to think about you take that advice to heart and you do that for your entire career. And then by the end of your career or, or you know, or where, you know, midway through your career, 25 years in, you're looking back and you're saying, you know what? I did all of that. And and honestly, now everybody does know who I am because because you did your job so well. You didn't have to make yourself part of the show, but you become part of the experience down at the ballpark because you do your job so well. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I always... Uh, I think if you hang around, I guess, Greg, and do something long enough, you know, because of that continuity, because of the seniority, you mm -hmm. know, the service uh, record that you build up over the years, uh, people may become familiar with you. Um, I would say it's more than that. I think they appreciate you. You know, it, it's more than being familiar. It's it's understanding the job you've done and how well you've done it. And, and they learn to appreciate that. And, and I think that's an, that's an important distinction because it's not just, Oh, there's Dan Baker again. It's hey, there's Dan Baker. And that's great to hear. Oh, well, again, thank you. But, uh, you know, I just feel like I'm doing my job, you know, any recognition that comes with it is a bonus. Uh, and, and this job, uh, Greg, uh, you know, for, people like you and me who have the privilege to work in this industry, uh, you know, you're, you're looking to build your resume. You're looking for other opportunities, at least as, you know, as a young man, uh, I'm not at that stage <laughs> anymore. I, you know, uh, so, uh, I feel like I'm on the back nine now, you know, but, uh, I, I still intend to do this as long as the Phillies will have me and, uh, I can perform at a high level and, and uh, God blesses me with good health. And uh, who knows, maybe I can even take a run at the longevity record that is currently enjoyed by Bob Shepard. Uh, 57 years, uh, Bob uh, announced with great distinction at Yankee Stadium. He's second to Pat Piper of the Chicago Cubs who announced at Wrigley Field from 1916 to 1974 for 59 years. Yeah, amazing. So, uh, you know, uh, by, by the way, Bob Shepard was 97 years old when he retired yeah. uh, uh, following the 2007 season at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So I'm 74. You're going to blow that record out of the water. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just so much fun and... Uh, um, I, I can't, can't even put into words really how enjoyable it is. I, I feel you. I really do. Because I think, uh, you know, we, we're both very blessed and we know it. And, and, and that's, yes. it's important to always remember that, but let me ask you this, because one of the big things about your job, one of the most important things are the names and you, and you touched on that. So thinking back, there was a name when I was a sportscaster and I was working in studio, there was a name that I could not pronounce. And if he popped up in my highlights, I unfortunately butchered it almost every time and it's i'll never forget it i've learned how to pronounce it since it's not a difficult name i just had a block with it edwin encarnacion would get me every single time so i wonder any names that uh, ever gave you were a bugaboo for you uh, i really can't think of any uh um uh, there are some names that are more challenging now uh with some of the medical challenges that I faced in the last year, Greg, mm -hmm. uh, and with the physical changes in my mouth from having had a squamous cell carcinoma, five and a half centimeters uh, removed from my cheek and part of my cheekbone and some of my teeth and uh, soft tissue mass being removed. Um, I, uh, find it more challenging certain letter combinations sure. and names uh but for the most part i you know i i was a school teacher for a while too and uh you know i i, I would write things out phonetically greg to help me if there was a name that was more challenging than another 
And so I could break it down into like syllables mm -hmm. uh, and, and make it easier, you know, and then I would put all the syllables together and say them quickly. Uh, and uh, that made it a little bit easier to overcome uh, such a challenge. Uh, but um, I can't think of too many names again. I, I remember one time, I think I did a U.S. Olympic uh, baseball uh, exhibition game against a Korean team. Okay. And everybody okay. on the Korean team either had a first, last, first, middle, or last name of Kim. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was, uh, that was interesting. Uh, distinguishing between the different players, you know, and, sure. and uh, of course it was important in which position you you had Kim. Uh, yeah. But uh, 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 no, I, I think uh, there haven't been too many names that you presented a, a block. They caused you trouble. Uh, but um, uh, I think because I I had developed, you know, some. Uh, little techniques along the way to, to make it easier and, you know, to break the, the words down into syllables. Um, but I never take anything for granted. And uh, you never know when you're going to come up against a, a challenge that is going to present a problem. Yes. Uh, Edwin uh, Encarnacion. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, uh, for so many years, Chris Long would prove, present me and now Teresa Harris does with my pregame script right and I like to read through that Greg and uh, identify any words that are challenging to make sure I can say them and you know Greg not only do I try to find out the correct pronunciation of any of the Phillies players or any of the opponents but if there's somebody who's throwing out the first pitch right. yep. you know I, I try to find out all of their names in advance too. I want to make sure, or some if somebody's dancing with the Philly fanatic, or if we have a sponsor. Yeah, uh, that's important too. <laughs> Philly, want to make sure I get that name right, and give them a big introduction when they're throwing out the first ball. Yeah, yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I do have a, I have a couple more questions. I really I, I'd love to hear. I I think I know the answer to this, but uh, let's tell the folks at home. It, over the course of the years, is there a name or two that has been your favorite? I know, so Harry certainly had his favorite names. Yeah. And and I would imagine some of those names crossed over with you because yeah. that's what you do. And you know, you bring yeah. so much excitement by just saying someone's name. So who are the, some of the, uh, the ones that you like the most? Well, uh, the names with the uh, polysyllabic last names, multiple syllables, yeah. uh, of course. Number 12, second baseman, Mickey Morandini. You know, he's one. Uh, the ball, uh, number 19, left fielder, Greg Luzinski. Number 53, right fielder, Bobby Abreu. <laughs> you know, there are certain names, Greg, yeah. that lend themselves to a melodic interpreta uh, interpretation. And, uh, you know, one name that I got in trouble for uh, that, uh, that people thought uh, I was trying to be negative towards him was number seven, J.D. Drew. Okay. You know, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, some of the Cardinal players, uh, and one who later became a manager, Mike Matheny, thought I was purposely trying to... Uh, be negative towards him and provoke the fans. Right. The fact of the matter is, our fans were really upset with JG Drew. Yeah. They did not need, need me or anybody else to provoke them into booing JG Drew. The fact of the matter is, when JD came out to the on deck circle, um, he was already getting booed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I said his name. Now, see, uh, when I say names where a person uses initials for their first name, I have always paused, uh, right. you know, in, in saying that name, uh, J.C. Romero, you know, J.D. Drew. Uh, and um, 
so I've, I've always done that. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to cast the fans or me in a negative role. Sure. Uh, you know, I'd rather that Phillies fans um, were very enthusiastic about the Phils. Yes, uh, and, and really, uh, you know, cheered lustily uh, for the Fightins, uh, as opposed to trying to get them to boo the opposition. You know, to me, the opposition, let's do them justice. Let's make sure we say their names correctly and fans it can react as, as they will. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, I'd rather they put their energy into being positive, you know, and, and not, you know, booing the opponent necessarily. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, that's not the case in every ballpark in America. There are some PA announcers who deliberately uh, downplay the opponents to get a reaction from the crowd. And I'm with you. I don't think there's a place for it. I think that the level playing field, you know, these guys are professionals as well. Give them their due. But when it's the Phillies turn to be announced, then that's where the excitement comes. And and that's kind of where I, where I want to end with you, because I, I'd like to know this. I know that you are a fan and I know that uh, behind the curtain, that, that not everyone can see that you get excited when things are going well on the field, that uh, you get upset when things are not going well on the field. Um, but do you all, but do you understand, or, and I, I would imagine you do, but that, you know, much like Harry and much like Tom McCarthy and, and Scott Fransky bring to their audiences at home on the radio or on television, when folks are at the ballpark, do you feel them feed off your energy? Because I think it's a real thing for sure. And I know where you are, you're kind of encased in glass and you can't hear so much the crowd outside. But when you announce Bryce Harper or when you announce JT, real, you know, yeah. can, can you sense the excitement that you bring to the ballpark? Well, I think it's the fans who are bringing excitement to the ballpark. I can say a name. I might be able to encourage them yeah. uh, to be more vocal. Uh, but that's where the excitement comes from to me. Uh, I think I can heighten that excitement. Uh, I think I can encourage them to be vocal uh, in a positive way. Um, and yes, I, I can feel it. And there are certain situations... And I, and I do think, Greg, that I, I know when to emote. I know when not to emote. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't announce every batter like it's the, se the seventh game of the World Series. Right. right. Uh, you know, uh, I think you have to pick and choose your shots. And, uh, and you know, the... Uh, the person who reads in a monotone, who's, who's not a good public speaker, but just as bad is that person who screams all the time. You can't scream all the time. You, you know, there are certain times uh, when you might want to elevate that voice uh, for a positive effect, uh, but you, it, it doesn't play with every batter. And you have to know when. Uh, and I, I, I do think, Greg, that I've had a good sense of timing of when it might be appropriate to boost it a little bit or when it might not be, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, the fans are upset. This is not the time, <laughs> you know, uh, to, uh, to, to try to get them to have a, a like a, a, a false, uh, uh, feeling about the Phillies' chances tonight. We're, right. we're losing by nine runs. It's you know the bottom of the seventh. <laughs> you know just now that's not to say. I, uh, and matter of fact, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that sometimes uh, Phillies uh, ushers and uh, uh, security people come up to me and say, "Geez, I can't believe you're still announcing him. You know we're losing. You know we're losing by ten runs. You're still announcing. You right, know." Right. J T Real Muto, you know, and I said, well, hey, I'm not giving up. You know, that's another thing I want to convey. You know, we're not giving up. I don't want to insult the fans. I don't want to insult their intelligence by making it look like, you know, all right, 
there's two outs, we're down by 12 in, in the ninth. You know, we're not, folks, I hate to say, we're not coming back from this. But, uh, um, but to the extent that I can, I will always remain positive and enthusiastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, I will not give up on the team, yeah. you know, no matter how bad it looks. And that's what I love because, I, and I know this about you because I've known you for, for many, many years, but, uh, and I, I like to think I'm similar in that you and I are such fans of this team, first and foremost, that yeah. uh, when the, when the fans are upset, we know they are because we are, you oh. know, it's like we get frustrated and we get excited when things are good. And we are so hoping that things turn out the way that we want to each and every night. And when you kind of live and die with the team as a fan, even as an employee, um, you know what? It, it, it's a lot more fun, if you ask me. I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to uh, engage with this team that, that we care so much about, right? Yes, and Greg, I think the fans can hear it in our voices. Yeah. And, and also, uh, Philadelphia fans uh, don't like to be – um had the wool pulled over their eyes you know it, when the team is not playing well and you know uh you know they have a sense for that they don't want to be uh insulted or dictated to or be told when to cheers you know uh i i think you have to have a sense you know sure. again when it's appropriate to emote when it's not uh and um and, and they know, you know, you know, uh, we, in this we, city, they know yes, <laughs> you know, that's, yes. that's the truth. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Dan, you know, so we sit here at 2021 and you are back at the ballpark. Now, most people know that are listening to this, that you weren't with us in 2020, as you talked about, you were dealing with some of the health issues and with COVID, yeah. uh, you know, staying away from the ballpark was certainly yeah. the best plan for you, but now yeah. you're back. And I know, you, so this would have been your 50th season would I know have. I know technically you're calling it your 49th season yes but yes. the most important thing is that fans should know is that certainly uh, this is not the last season for Dan Baker you know you have ideas and plans and certainly the Phillies do for you to be there for you know as long as as you said that you can do it at the, the high level that you're accustomed to right well, uh, I'm grateful for that. And uh, the Phillies, uh, Dave Buck and Mark DiNardo, you know, told me uh, during my uh, lengthy recuperation uh, that they wanted me back for, you know, as many games as uh, uh, I was strong enough to announce. And uh, I told them that I intended, you know, to be. Uh, and I was taking some speech therapy and, uh um, uh, occupational therapy. I went through a whole bunch of things, uh, but I was determined to get back uh, to this wonderful, wonderful job and this wonderful organization and team. And uh, and if uh, if I'm lucky and I can continue to perform at this high level, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to do it for a number of years to come. Uh, you know, who knows what the future holds, sure. but. Uh, but I, I'm, I've always been a dreamer and, and uh, set goals for myself. I continue to do so. Uh, and it just, uh, I'm just energized, Greg, being back at the ballpark. It, it's helped me, yeah. uh, you know, and, and to have something uh, uh, concrete, to, you know, to work towards and get mm -hmm. back uh, has been very therapeutic for me. It's funny, uh, as I... Uh, um, uh, I mean, I exercise around the. I walk in the house now. I used to walk uh, 15 to 20 miles a week for, you know, most of my career, uh, you know, outside. But I've been walking in the house, you know, with COVID and uh, with sure. all these other things last year. Uh, but um, I, I think the fact that I'm in fairly good shape helped me get through uh, some of these medical challenges. And I think it'll help me continue. But when uh, Dave and Mark uh, asked me how many games I thought I could do this year, I said 81. 
<laughs> That's the right answer. Absolutely. We're halfway through. I have not missed a game, and I think I have performed at a pretty high level. Yes, you have. Uh, and, uh, I hope to do that throughout this year and for years to come. Well, Dan, you said that uh, if you're lucky, you get to stay and do this for uh, for many, many more years. I would tell you that if we are lucky, you will be around for many, many years doing this job. Uh, you are part of the soundtrack of summer, and and you and, you know I know you've heard that before, but for a kid growing up in this town and and meeting you early in my career, what a gracious man you are! But but such a talented person. And uh, it just it just wouldn't be the same. And quite frankly, 2020 wasn't the same without that voice in the ballpark. So I know I speak for Phillies fans all over the place that when we're at the ballpark, it's the voice that uh, we want to hear. Dan Baker and uh, uh, we hope again, we'll enjoy it for many, many years to come. You know, we have an all star game coming up in a couple of years. We need you at that. So, you know, th then maybe we think about, uh, you know, retirement after that. Well, well, well down the line. That would be my third, uh, 76, and 2026. So uh, that that's definitely a goal worth shooting for. No doubt about it. Dan, thank you so much for sharing your glove stories with us. Uh, it is certainly uh, a love of baseball, a baseball life that uh, has been so good to you, but you have been so good for the Delaware Valley and for Philadelphia Phillies fans uh, everywhere. So we say thank you for that. Thank you, Greg. And thank you for you and Scott Palmer uh, filling in for me last year. Oh. <laughs> uh, we were fortunate to have uh, two wonderful professionals to do that. And yeah. uh, well, I know, could fit both my feet in one of your shoes, so that that's the way that's the way it felt. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, you know, obviously, we were happy to be there for you. But even obviously, more delighted that you're back and uh, and doing it. And uh, you know, like you said, 81 games this year, and 81 the next, and 81 the next, and uh, that record will fall before before too long for sure. Thank you, Greg. Go Phillies. <laughs> Yes, go Phillies. Dan Baker joining us here on Glove Stories uh, with Murph, brought to you by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. We appreciate you being with us. Dan, thank you for being with us. We have more coming up on the program, so stay right where you are. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Glove Story listeners. Join me and the rest of Team Murphy for the 34th annual Bend to the Shore Bike Tour. Ride your bike to the beach and then celebrate at the finish line, all while raising money to help fallen first responders. Just log on to bendtoshore.org. That's Ben, the number two, shore.org. And register to be a part of Team Murphy today. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to Glove Stories as we relive one of those magical games from the 1980 championship season. We welcome in Larry Boa, the shortstop of that team, uh, as we do uh, each and every week uh, to relive that game. Larry, we're talking about Monday, August 11th, 1980. Let me refresh your memory. You guys right. were in Chicago at Wrigley Field taking on a Cubs team that wasn't playing all that well. Uh, middle of the summer, but... Your team, at this point, not playing well either. The, the, this game had a lot of significance because you guys came into August playing really poorly. Middle of July, you had a one-game lead in the NL East. That was on July right. 11th. But by August 11th, you guys were six games out of first place, the biggest deficit of the year for you guys. With only six weeks left to play in the season, you had lost 14 of your last 21 games. What do you remember about that? Because – we're down at crunch time now. We're in August, oh. and you guys are going in, in the completely wrong direction at that point. Big time crunch time. And we, we, we like you said, the arrow was pointing down. Yeah. The food tastes bad. You couldn't sleep at night. We had to read the papers. You know, uh, we've, we've talked about uh, talk radio goes on now in baseball. Sometimes I wish we had talk radio because the writers that covered us, we were getting buried every day. I Bad. mean, every single day. These guys are underachieving. They can't do it. They kept the team together. And obviously, and then they kept writing about uh, uh, when Gene Mock uh, had that good team. And they, we knew the history of everything. Yeah. But 
in all fairness, if we bring in a reliever, he'd, he'd blow the game. If a, a pitcher, if we score six runs, we give up seven. If we scored two, they would get three. Uh, uh, it, we, we couldn't get the combo going, Murph. It was uh, either good pitching and bad hitting or good hitting and bad pitching. You know how that goes. Sure. And it sort of snowballed on us. And we looked up, and as you said, six down in August, uh, the odds weren't too good right then. No, they really were not. But, uh, you know, the winning streak had to start somewhere. And why not at Wrigley Field in uh, on uh, August the 11th? So let's talk a little bit about it. The Phils get the scoring started early. Bake McBride had a sack fly in the first. You had a sack fly in the second. They got one back in the bottom half of the inning. But then Schmidt added a home run in the third. And then Trio knocked in another sack fly. So quickly, 4-1 in the first three innings. Um, in the middle of all that, Schmidt just continued to rake that season. And <laughs> Schmidt at Wrigley Field was something special to watch, was it not? You, you know what, Murph? I'm going to give you a real quick story about Schmidt at Wrigley Field because every time we go there, he'd hit two home runs, sometimes three, but he'd always hit. He'd get three hits. So when we went into Wrigley Field, it, it might not have been this series, but I remember sitting on the bench. It was when Danny Ozark uh, was the manager. Okay. And Schmidt goes to Danny, he goes, Hey, I'm in a, in a little funk here. Could you put a hit and run on? And I'm looking at the flag and it's blowing dead. And I looked at him, I said, a hit and run. Are you kidding me? And he, he looked at me, he goes, yeah, it makes you stay on the ball a little bit to make a long story short. He ended up getting two home runs that game, but there was no hit and run on, but that was Mike's mindset. He says, well, let me put a hit and run on it. Guy, guys hit capable of hitting 40, 50 home runs, but he loved hitting there. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the day games. Every time we went in there, he did something special. And, uh, he, that year, well, he, more than just that year, but he carried his big time. Sure. Yeah, he certainly did. And yeah, you think back to, to some of the highlights uh, of so many highlights in, in Mike's career, but so, so many of them happened in Chicago. No question. And uh, well, it was it was exactly what you guys needed because you guys were desperate for a win at this point. Bob Walk was pitching well, uh, as he had all season long for you guys. Uh, he, he left the game leading five to three. But when things were going bad, in, in a baseball season, when things are going bad, you know, things start to turn around and, and start heading in the in the wrong direction. Ron Reed, who was pitching the ninth, got Steve Dillard to strike out for the first out, but then Lenny Randall singled, Mike Vale singled, and Bill Buckner doubled, made it five to four. Then you intentionally walk, uh, after an intentional walk, McGraw would come in and replace Reed. Reed and Barry Foot got Barry Foot to ground out into a fielder's choice, but a run scored and tied it up at five. And again, I would imagine at that point you're thinking oh, we can't we no, cannot buy a win. No question. And the way Ron Reed pitched most of that year, usually when he came in, uh, and then we went to our closer, it, the game's usually over. But again, like you said, and you're sitting out in, in the infield when you go through those streaks, Murph. And as soon as somebody gets on, and you you're in a long losing streak, or you've lost ten out of eleven, you're going, okay, now what? Yeah. And that's exactly what happened during that bad stretch. But uh, Anytime Reed didn't do well, there was a good chance we we had to really scuffle down there because he was he was tremendous for us in the bullpen. And I, I to this day, I think he meant just as much to us as Tugger. I know mm -hmm. Tugger got all those saves, but Ron Reed did a, a great job down there. Yeah, he certainly did. Yeah. And and as we relive this season on the podcast, I'm seeing that more and more. You see just how many times in a big situation Ron Reed was in there and making good things happen. But right. not today. So the lead is given away and you tied up. Uh, they tied up at five. And now we go in extra innings and we go to ninth and the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th inning. And you're at Wrigley Field, and in 1980, Wrigley Field, uh, no lights. lights. Yeah, no. so the game gets suspended. Uh, you and I were just talking about it. That happened to you guys a couple times? Yeah, a couple times. You know, uh, without the lights, the shadows come over, and, and it's hard to see. And so they have to set a time where, hey, this is going to be the last inning because, uh, as you well know, it's very difficult to play there. Uh, and I'm glad they eventually put up lights at Wrigley, sure. but uh, – Every time you went in there, you knew that uh, if you go into the 12th or 13th inning, there's a good chance you'll be starting that game the next day, a continuation of where the, where the plays ended. So that's exactly what transpired there. We went back to the hotel uh, because of the, the no light situation. And uh, I think that happened about three or four times in my career, not that year, but in my right. career where you had to come back and, and, and basically play the suspended game. 
Well, you know, as you said before, you know, when things aren't going well, the food doesn't taste as good and everything seems, <laughs> the bed is uncomfortable and you can't sleep. Well, so now you're sleeping on this five, five game and knowing you guys, you need a win. This is not a good Cubs team. And you have to come back the next day, get that win. And then hopefully, you know, get a win in, in the regularly scheduled game later that day as well. You do come back 15th inning, top of the 15th. You lead off with a single. Uh, you get sacrificed over by Greg Gross. Uh, then Pete Rose gets walked intentionally, Bake McBride singles, and then Schmitty triples, of course, in Wrigley to make right. it eight to five. He clears the bases, makes it eight to five. And then Warren Brewster comes in and locks it down. And you guys win that game. And I think it's fair to say, if you go back and look now, that that might have been the beginning of the run back to first place and, and, and back to the postseason. Yeah, we, we went on a little run there. I don't know if we won 10 out of 11 or 11 out of 12, but we started playing up to our capabilities. But you mentioned Greg Gross. Here's a guy that was a very big-time pinch hitter. We put a bun on. We, we played the little ball game, and we end up winning the ball game. He uh, Gross, an unsung hero. Bruce Starr, an unsung hero. Everybody contributed. I mean, Schmitty had the greatest year I've ever seen, but yeah. if you really wanted to go into that whole roster, everybody – at one time or another had a, had a piece of helping us win a baseball game. And Greg Gross was one of those guys. If you needed a bunny, get it. If you had to sacrifice fly, would do it. You could put a hit and run on with him and Brewster with a nasty sinker. Uh, so start things did start to turn around for us at that time. Yeah. And, and just in the nick of time, you guys are five games out after this game here, looking up still at first place in the NL East. However, uh, in the next six weeks, as we know, things would start to turn around, and we'll talk about that uh, at a later date as well. But, uh, Larry, thanks for helping us uh, relive this one because uh, right. it was the beginning of, of the run. And that, that's, All right, that we fun. got some good stories because I got a good Dallas Green story. I'm sure you're going to have that on one of the podcasts. <laughs> I, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Hold on to that because uh, we all love to hear the Dallas Green stuff. Uh, it, it, it's great. But uh, that'll do it for us here on Glove Stories today. Thanks so much, Larry, for being with us and we'll talk to you real soon and relive another game from that 1980 season all right murph looking forward to it glove stories with murph is presented by parks casino sportsbook app new users download an app store or click parkscasino.com pa and use the promo code money for first bet risk-free up to 500 must be 21 gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER Love Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.